The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello, world of internet. This is the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And uh, my guest today is Ari Tula. Did I say that correctly? That's Ari perfect. Tula. Uh, Ari Tula. All right. Gotcha. Ari Tula. Ari is a multi-sport athlete, a serial entrepreneur, a venture capitalist, nutrition advocate. He is the founder of the company ELO and Better Doctor and is the CEO of Quest Analytics here. So like I was telling Ari before the broadcast here is that that's quite an impressive resume. I looked it over quite a bit and it looks like it does, you know, every company does something a little bit different, but it's all kind of going channeled down the same path here. So I'm interested in digging into that and finding out who Ari Tula is. And uh, yeah, yeah, it sounds Sounds all just very exciting here. So Ari, again, thanks very much for coming on. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you. And so Ari, I like to start every show off with just some background information here. So we have some context in which we are speaking Um, because I know stuff about you, but, you know, maybe people listening don't really know you. And so I like to kind of dig into that a little bit here. So as far as uh, backgrounds is concerned, so I know you're currently located in San Francisco here. So, but where did you start out? Where, like, where were you born, and then how did you end up in San Francisco? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm born in uh, in northern Finland, the small country in uh, in Europe that uh, recently joined uh, NATO. So, hey Finland, and so uh, recently I, left or joined NATO? We joined NATO uh, a couple of weeks ago. Okay. So another thousand miles of uh, border with uh, with our friend uh, the, the Russians. So interesting uh, timing in in that perspective. But yeah, Finland is in um, in the northern Finland at the same level as Anchorage, Alaska. So think about in the winter the sun doesn't set, go up at all, and in the summer the the sun doesn't go down at all. So very interesting bipolar country to live in. And um, I spent my youth. I did two things. I, I played hockey as any good Finn suit and then i dabbled with uh, with computers and um i i never became an nhl player few of my teammates went to play play and you know they became pretty good and um, instead i became uh, an entrepreneur at a uh, pretty young age already so i was building video games in the 90s um late 90s i ended up in a first startup we built web websites for big companies in the web 1.0 uh, then I spent about a decade almost in the mobile side. So I was working at a small Finnish company called Nokia that was doing smartphones early before iPhone and Android. And I was in a team that built the first uh, smartphone in 95, first phone with video, uh, images, email, uh, websites. And, uh, and then last uh, uh, 12 years, I've been working in healthcare. So I got, uh, got uh, dragged into in a different field completely because um, of family health issues. And um, it's been pretty amazing to be able to build a few companies in, in the space of healthcare in the U.S. And um, I've been in the, in the Bay Area here for 15 years now. So it's been really interesting to follow uh, the ups and downs of the tech and uh, to be part of kind of the mobile revolution and now to be closely part of the AI 
revolution. It will be kind of changing all of our lives. Was it your intention all along to kind of follow this techie, um, this tech uh, path? You know, and I heard you, you got into computers, you said when you were very young. So that kind of just like sparked something in you and say, oh, okay, well, this is kind of the direction I want to take. It, it's just, uh, you know, life is uh, unpredictable. You know, you follow, you follow where it points you. And um, I was, I was super lucky as a kid, my, my father, he was a research scientist and, and he got a computer um, 80s already, first PC, the zero eight six PC with two color screens and, you know, less memory than you have in a, in a calculator today. And, um, I get, I got, you know, his old uh, computer when he got a new one and you can really do much more with it than maybe do like, uh, early Excel seats on a lot of notes and uh-huh. and then maybe you could play games and I picked the latter as a kid and um, and then I was um, connected to the web uh, very early so my father was affiliated to University of Oulu my, my hometown university and they connected to the internet you know very very early in early 90s already and then I basically wanted to play with uh, with you know the the first things that happened there there was no email Yet there was really no uh, web browser. So the website www wasn't existing yet. So you could communicate in different ways like IRC, kind of like a rudimentary WhatsApp uh, in a way. And then I started to, you know, build games and play games in the early web. And this was something that you had to call with the modem. You can remember the modem sound, some of you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, But then I, I just, you know, was able to kind of get to do something pretty early when most people had no idea what it is. And then that led me into into the tech world, and um, I mean that's the same story in a way for a lot of entrepreneurs that you know you are lucky to be early on something, and then you have a accumulated understanding of things in a way most people don't have yet, and that's what I try to do always now um, in my life when I think about healthcare as well. Um, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the food as medicine idea that I uh, got kind of acquainted by my my wife having health issues that we were able to heal with food and nutrition. So I it's always about, do you know something that most people don't know? Or do you believe in something that most people don't believe in? And if that is, is true, then you have an upper hand, at least for a moment. Right. But you, at some point, you have to kind of validate what you believe in. Like it's one thing to be contrarian, but then you have to be contrarian, you have to be correct. Um, and that's really kind of where things really start to build. Well, I, I, you know, this is a good point because I, I've been thinking about it. I, I was uh, very way early on the gaming. You know, the gaming was, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we had thousands of people playing these games, and now we have billion billions of people. <laughs> uh, I was building the first mobile games in the in the world when we had you know a few people dabbling with them. Now I think four billion people play games on mobile. Mobile gaming is bigger than music and. And you know, film and um, and music books together. Well, yeah, that's my, insane. Son is, yeah, if, my, <laughs> if my son is any indication, that's definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a fact of life. And but at the same time, then I was you know working on this. Uh, the I was working on the mobile you know devices, smartphones early. And uh, Nokia was when I was there. Nokia was the most valuable company in the world. Uh, mm-hmm. We were nominated to be the most innovative company back to back to back, like I don't know five ten years. And then we completely lost the mode. So when Android and iPhone came into fray, so sometimes you know you you can be right, but if you are in the wrong time, it doesn't really help. So it's a really interesting conundrum when you build something new. Uh, most times you fail, 
most times you you don't have the right timing and sometimes you get lucky and and you have the right timing and i feel that you know with my my latest company elo we are we are in the right time finally and i feel really blessed to be kind of lucky to be working on something that seems to be resonating to people so talk to us about elo so i did like i said i looked at when, that, when your information was sent to me by your representative, I looked at um, all the companies that were affiliated with you, either one way or the other. Uh, ELO was uh, is, is the most current one, right? It's the most yep. current one that you're, you're involved with? Okay, so ELO. I did look it up down. Now, am I correct in thinking it's a nutritional supplement company that kind of paired up with a uh, an artificial intelligence kind of angle? Did I, did I interpret that correctly? I think you, you you have a correct idea. Uh, mm-hmm. So what we what we do at Elo, we are trying to build a new world that is making your nutrition. Think about your supplements, your powders, your food, your groceries smart. I mean that may sound like a silly idea. Well, it's, I coined the idea, so it might be silly today. I hope it's not silly in ten years' time. So you already have at home, you have a smartphone. You have a maybe a smart car like Tesla. Maybe you have a smart watch like Apple Watch or whatever. Maybe you have you know bought smart home devices like you know automatic car, car door opener. You know getting your lights on and off. Maybe you have a Nest thermostat, a smart thermostat. So what what is making these things smart? We, we I've been involved in that smart concept for many many years, and and I always been thinking like why can't we make everything around us smarter why can't food and, and nutrition be smart as well so what it means to us and what it means in my my mind at least is that every product that you are buying from elo are personalized to you so they're made for you made to order we don't have a warehouse full of stuff we made every product for you with your name on top uh, it's also precise it's uh, based on the latest science it's product that you know we formulate based on the real facts about you data from your body and then thirdly it's also proactive proactive means that it gets better over time and if you think about like you probably know people who have tesla maybe you have one yourself what people say the first they say that it's awesome because when i go to the car i don't need to have a key my phone is the key so i just open the door i go in and it knows it's my phone not my wife's phone so the, the seat moves automatically, the steering wheel moves automatically, the mirrors move automatically to my height. And then, of course, it has my music playing immediately. Uh, it becomes my style of even the driving style for me and my wife is different. So the car is different for me and for her. We use the same car. Um, that's pretty cool. I mean, th- kind of the same thing with, you know, the Nest thermostat. You, you walk into a home. And, and, you know, you have the nest if you go out for a few days and nobody's at home, it will cool off the house automatically and you're going to save money. That's smart, right? So we're trying to build those same ideas into, into Elo. And um, I think the, the first products we have today, we have, um, we have two products live and we have many more coming. Uh, the first one we launched is a, a supplements coming in a daily packet based on your blood biomarker test. So you start by doing a blood test. You prick your finger, you send the blood into our lab. We test the blood, about you know 15 biomarkers. And then you can get the right uh, supplements that are helping to fill your nutrient gaps. 
most of us have gaps that we don't know of. And then we are pairing you with a dietitian that you can communicate uh, about the results. And you can then have an app that you can talk to your dietitian 24-7 if you want. So that's called Smart Supplements. And, and the new product we just got out is Smart uh, Protein or Smart Recovery Mix. It basically is the same idea, but we don't need to do a blood test. You can do it if you want. Uh, but we are taking data from your wearable devices like, you know, like Apple Watch or Oura Ring or Whoop or whatnot. And then we formulate the product that is optimized for your recovery. And every month the product will uh, get better, be more optimized for you, depending on what you have done. So we're tracking the recovery based on these devices. So that's kind of the, the beginning uh, where we start from. And there are many, many new things coming in the, in the coming years. Well, still, it seems that's a huge undertaking. Because not only you're working with blood work, artificial intelligence, and you're doing constant updates too, kind of like a like you said, an Apple Watch or a smartphone. Um, it's a lot to take on, uh, and this is just the beginning of things, right? Yeah, I think some things are when you look outside in. Sometimes you think that you know certain things are difficult, and and today when we have a new world where it's actually not that difficult to build certain things. Some things that you may think are really, really hard to do, they might not be that difficult. But some other things are, are really, really hard to do. Like in our, our problem today, if you think about a company like Elo, of course, we spent you know, many years now building the, the AI system. We built the platform. We have an electronic health record management system. We are like a hospital from the security perspective. A lot, a lot of things had to be built to make it work. But, you know, we had done that before in, in our previous companies already. So not that difficult for us. Maybe for somebody starting from zero would be very difficult to do. But what is really difficult is to get uh, people to do a finger prick at home, for example. Uh, we have many, many people who just can't do a hole in the finger with a lancet and they are afraid of it. So that's something that we are now tackling. Like, How do we help people to be able to prick their finger better? How do we help people to connect? You know, somebody might have a... For example, like, you know, a, a Polar uh, smartwatch. So how do you connect that uh, watch into, into Elo? Those are kind of the, the things we now struggle because people have never done this before. And uh, it's a lot about uh, sensing behavior. And that is mm -hmm. difficult, as, as you well know. Right, right. Yeah, see, the behavioral change aspect of working with people, it's the hardest thing of all. Totally. So, I, so you got Elo here. So Quest Analytics that uh, you, were the, you were the CEO of Quest Analytics here. Um, did that tie into ELO here or, or is that con something completely separate? Yeah, good, good question. So about um, over 20 years ago, my, my wife had a thyroid tumor. Um, out of nowhere, she had a big lump on her neck. And mm -hmm. um, then, you know, diagnosis says that, you know, there's a, there's a tumor that has to be taken out. And um, it's taken out and it's very close to the thyroid. So the, the thyroid partially has to be removed. And that led into autoimmune diseases, hormonal imbalances, many of these unknown unknowns. We don't really know about what to do. And um, the verdict from the doctors was that, you know, not life-threatening, you can live normal life, but you need to be medicated in order, you know, to function normally. And those medications made it impossible to get pregnant. So it's kind of tough. You, you find, you know, your love of life and, and then uh, suddenly you, you get a verdict that you can never have a family. 
So we spent about a decade of trying to find a way to overcome that is used you know, Western and Eastern medicine. And in the end, we realized that you can use diet and um, nutrition to help the body heal itself. What I mean by that is that if you have an autoimmune disease, you often are fueling the, the inflammation in your body by the wrong diet. So we had to cut away all the grains. We cut away meat mainly. We cut away all the added sugar. And over time, she was able to help her body heal itself. So I became a big believer of uh, this idea of food as medicine then. Um, then we got to, we were moving to US at the same time. And then we started to, you know, try to get pregnant. You know, we had to use IVF. And as, you know, people who have done IVF, it's very expensive and difficult. Um, we did that. And then we were super unlucky that our first son died uh, out of completely ir- unrelated uh, uh, reason. That was the time when I went from, uh, you know, working on the games and other stuff into working in healthcare. And uh, we had been working with more than 50 different doctors in the U.S. to be able to get where we were. And then something like this happens. And it was possible. You know, I don't blame any doctors, but, you know, it could probably have been prevented by, by better care. And um, I decided to build a company called Better Doctor to help people find doctors. Because, you know, when you are sick, you are at your weakest. And everybody listening, they know how difficult it is to find a doctor. It's one of the most difficult things. You can have access to thousands of different doctors. You don't know who are good, who are bad. You don't even know how to evaluate them. You have, you buy a new toaster. You go to Amazon. It has 15,000 reviews. You can see videos. You can learn everything about the toaster. And you definitely get a good toaster. But then you are you know, going to a doctor office. And they're going to open your cavity, your, your chest cavity for heart surgery. And you have one Yelp review. You have no idea if they are good or bad, if they are killing people left and right. So I wanted to build a company to put all that data together in one place so people can find it and find the doctor that you know, can help them at the right time. And um, over the you know, six, seven years we built the company, we were helping you know, millions of people a year. I think 20 million people altogether found a doctor with us. And we, we sold the company to, to private equity. And then I took the ownership of a new company called Quest Analytics that took better doctor, the doctor final company. And then we had a couple other companies we put together into a pretty big, uh, you know, hundreds of people uh, business. And and what we did in the end was really powerful. We, we built a system that is helping to build doctor networks. So we took all the data from better doctor. We took the old data from Quest. We had this other company we bought. Um, we basically built a platform that is used now by your health insurance company, your hospital, the government, your state, to build the doctor network to access today. So today, 200 million people are accessing the doctor networks built by by the Quest tools. Um, nobody knows our name because you know we are behind the scenes. But it's a pretty interesting thing that you know I started the company with the with the hope to help million people find a doctor. And today, you know, most of us in America are finding a doctor because of you know we are helping to build better networks. So when you said it was. It's difficult to find a good doctor. Um, I don't disagree. Um, I think I got lucky enough with my personal doctor that I think he's a good doctor, one, and I like him personally. So I think I just kind of like, I just hit the jackpot right there. Um, Now, did did you mean that it's just kind of hard to filter out through because of of an overcrowded uh, industry of like, who's really a, a good one to turn to or is it just like is it just a kind of a larger systemic question of quality care in the healthcare system 
Well, I think you know you are referring probably to um, the pri- PCP, a primary care doctor that you mm-hmm. work with. And um, I mean, if you have, I don't know if you have had any health issues that are when you get cancer, when you get, you know, chronic condition, then your PCP is not going to really, they can be their part of the care pathway, but they're not going to be the caregiver for you. They're going to be a specialist and many of them. In my wife's case, we had like 20 different type of doctors that we worked with. So it gets awfully complicated quickly. Who is owning you? Who is working with you to make a decision? Are you making a decision yourself on things you have no idea of? So that's what happens with with healthcare, and we all get sick, we all die in the end. So it's not happening today, but you know, in some time in your life, you will be uh, facing healthcare, and you either going to die or then you're going to survive, or maybe you can extend your life for a few years. That, and that happens for everybody. So it's not like you know, it's a, a one of case. And when that happens, you know, today we are we want to be conscious consumers. Like I said, we want to go to Amazon, we want to look at reviews, we want to read about. Um, who do, where do we spend our money and where do we who do we get the care from? Um, and today in healthcare, we don't really have a place that you can go to find information about like who is the best surgeon now for heart transplant? Who is the best surgeon for knee replacement? Who is the best doctor for uh, your ACL surgery, for example? Like, how, how do you evaluate? Like, are you asking your primary care doctor? who have, plays golf with the five other doctors and they're going to refer those doctors who they play golf with. Are those the best doctors for you? Like, how do you know? Uh, there's no transparency today. So at Better Doctor, we were the first company ever to, for example, get access to uh, claims data and quality of care outcome data. And we collected all the consumer feedback from every site into one. Uh, so we actually knew that there are five doctors in your city who are doing knee operations, or they are orthopedic surgeons focused on knee. We knew how many of them have done ACL surgeries, how many of them have done knee replacements. Do you want to get the doctor in your city who has done one knee replacement or the one who has done 400? Which do you pick? <laughs> I mean, it's an easy question, right? So, But that data is still today not available publicly. It is kind of available behind the scenes a little bit, but... But that was the hope we had better. Can we make that data available to everybody? So you can make a decision yourself. You don't need to let other people make decisions for yourself. All right. Um, Maybe you answered this question earlier on, but I think I'll answer it anyway. So, uh, or I'll ask it anyway. Um, So this this, going back to better doctors is a huge network where you're compiling different doctors in your area and you have a rating system and you're looking for quality of care. Um, how do you get the physicians to really go along with that? Do they have to do it voluntarily? Or I was just curious, do they have to do it voluntarily or is it, are they uh, conscripted into it um, through some way? Um, I'm just kind of curious because that's just like, I, I kind of tend to know how doctors tend to be about people, you know, kind of evaluating them, you know, and just kind of like, you know, people who are, you know, rating their skills and, they can be kind of touchy about that. Um, so did you, how did you get them to go along with it? Well, we did it two ways. So uh, we created the database of all the doctors in the country, 1.1 million. Mm-hmm. And we also added then later um, different uh, ancillary care, care providers like nurse practitioners. We added uh, counselors, uh, therapists, and so forth. Uh, I think even like chiropractors and others in the end. So we had like about 2.8 million providers listed 
And then we were trying to collect data, of course, not for everybody who can find enough data to be able to rate them. And uh, then we gave them opportunity to claim the profile and add information. They couldn't change, of course, the rating, but they could change the phone number and address and website and add photos and bios and whatever. So make it more rich. Kind of same model modality you have on uh, like Google. If you Google search today a local business, you're going to find an address, you're going to find photos. That is updated by the local business. And if you think about like Yelp, for example, if you go to Yelp, you have, if you have photos and videos, whatever, those are added by the business themselves. Uh, but in our case, you, you couldn't pay to play. You couldn't pay to be at the top. That was the, this is to be made in the beginning. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so better doctor. Um, so, uh, all right. So you can't, you came to the, you came to the U S you got involved with Silicon Valley. And then, so this, these, uh, if I'm getting the timeline, right, this, uh, health scares you have with your, with your wife, kind of, you took it from going into, you know, being primarily into tech and video games and cell phones and that sort of thing here. And then you transitioned it into healthcare. Um, so, I mean, similar along the lines here, but again, and this has become a growing trend now where we see this kind of, um, uh, synthesis of technology and healthcare. Uh, or fitness, if you want to, if you want to prefer that term, fitness being merged into one here. So, was that was that really the turning point? Then is that well, you got your your wife got sick here, and so now you started to focus all your energy in improving the healthcare system. I mean, partially yes, but you know, the, the kind of the the last uh, you know straw was when you know our son died. So I mm -hmm. I you know that was a big awakening for us that you know. This is, I mean, in the end, in the life, what matters, uh, you know, family matters and your health matters. If you don't have those two, you know, I mean, I don't think really life is very valuable. Um, so I decided to kind of, you know, completely, you know, focus out of the, out of the uh, tech into healthcare and spend next 30 years on investing in healthcare and, and building companies that can have an impact in people's lives. And my wife also, she went from, you know, working a corporate, corporate career to to in the end start a um, a consulting company working with uh, Marie Kondo on the Marie consulting side. So helping people one on one to to own all of the things that they really want to own in their life. Uh, so it's been big <laughs> big shift in our our right. family. We sold our our houses and you know our, our property and uh, built a small fund. It's the the do good ventures that we I'm wearing a hat on, and uh, we invest in startups. Uh, have done it for now for. Uh, almost 12 years and uh, we are involved in 55 companies today as an investor. Gotcha. Gotcha. Is that where you spend most of your time now is working in venture capitalism? Well, I mean, we are, we are just a very kind of angel, uh, early, earliest, early, uh, money in a very, very, uh, early stage of the company. And we don't, we are small investor. We are also a little bit involved in a couple of bigger funds that are investing them, you know, millions of dollars, but you know. Uh, we invest like a small checks in the very beginning, and it's more like for us to uh, get be able to involve with really interesting people and be able to help the companies in the very early stages. I I built a six business from the ground up myself over the years, and I have some perspective on how to do it. And um, I, if I can help people to to succeed, I'm always happy to try to do that. Gotcha. So I want to go back to what you said earlier is about as food as medicine. Now, that's not a new concept. We've been hearing that for a while now. Um, 
And I'm always interested to hear what uh, every individual's different take on that really is. Because, you know, if you really want to get down to it, that that goes back centuries. Like food is medicine. People will quote, I think it was Hippocrates who said that yep. something like that. Okay. So it's been around for a minute here. So, but now I think at least in the United States, it's starting to really sort of get traction. It seems like just based on what I'm hearing from you and based on the other people that I've spoken to, this idea is really starting to come into its own here. So when we talk about using food as medicine, like you can actually cure yourself of like pretty devastating diseases, potentially you can reverse the effects from it. Um, now that that's a quite a leap of faith when you find, when you kind of go into it, like you say, when you go to see a doctor and you get diagnosed with some tumor that's on some, uh, that's on, a, on your thyroid or some other important part of your body, and you're running the risk of having a part of that or the entire thing surgically removed. And I think most people probably, because they trust their doctors, you know, they, they want to trust their doctors. They say, well, this person's a qualified professional. They went to school. They've done maybe 400 procedures, what have you. Uh, been in the game 20, 30 years. They want to trust you. I mean, they want to trust. Um, and we're bred and we're taught to, to trust physicians because they are professionals, right? Um, so when you decide to, when you decide to say, no, I'm not going along with that, I am going to find some other alternative means that has not been quite so validated by, um, the healthcare industry, like saying using food and food only to try to reverse the effects of my disease. Um, you really kind of feel like you're going out on a bit of a limb. Do you not? Again, I think there's a big, uh, big uh, question, and let's take a maybe step back and, and frame it a bit. Um, in in our case, you know, we went ahead and we got a, a surgery that uh, removed the tumor, and if we would not have done that, my wife would be dead today. Like, okay. so I mean, I'm not saying that you know, you want to go and try to treat a cancer at the stage two or three or four with. Uh, choosing or some supplements that's a silly insane stuff that will kill you in the end and we have many many examples of you know if you right. go to the the graveyard and you know many people are trying to do some stuff that is a silly the, the modern medicine is quite good at yeah. treating us when we are very sick we have the mortality rate for many cancers is dropping to zero uh we are inventing amazing medications every day i'm a, I'm a science science-based kind of guy i mean i'm a, I'm a technologist by heart and um, I'm not, I have nothing against the modern medicine. What I'm against is that today, if you frame this from the money perspective, that's a good framing beginning. Uh, how do you evaluate a healthcare system? What are the metrics? Like, like we, we've been talking about this for the last 20 years in the US. What is, you know, like, are we good or are we bad? Are we, do we want to have everybody covered that they can get healthcare or not? These are big decisions we've been debating in the political forums for a long time and people have a different opinions. some people say fuck it you know we don't need to get any care and some people say let's care everybody that's a you know different opinion but if you think about the totality we are spending today almost twice as much money per person in the u.s in healthcare than the second most spending country in the world that's by the way uh, norway twice per person double we are now at the at around 50 in the countries that are living the longest. Isn't it a good measurement of how much we spend per person 
and how long we live. And not only how long we live, but how, how many healthy years we have to live. We have 10 less healthy years today in the US than they have in Japan, for example. How can it be? Like, is that cool? Like, we, live, we have 10 less years to live on this earth today on average than the Japanese people have. How much would you pay when you are 80 years old to get 10 healthy years more? I think you could spend all your money and then some. So that's kind of one measurement I always think about. Like, okay, what is the life expectancy of healthy years? And then how much we spend? And today we are completely ass backward in the US. We spend almost all the money we spend today on the last two years of your life. We are trying to keep people healthy. And it's great that we are able to, you know, when you get the cancer, when you are almost dead, we can kind of get you back to alive and, you know, you can get maybe two more years. Right. We spend no money on preventing the disease in the first place. Today, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows this, but 90% of American adults are sick metabolically. We have a, you know, high insulin resistance. We have, you know, we are pre-diabetic. Uh, we have heart issues that are going to happen soon. Half the people are going to be diabetic, type 2 diabetic in 20 years from now, if you don't do anything. And I don't think we have the money to pay for the care. So it will be very unfortunate if you get sick in 20 years and, you know, we don't have the money to pay for that. And if you don't have the money to pay for it, government can't take care of you. So you're going to basically end up dying. And we see that all, all day long in, in cities when you have people with really thick legs that are looking like, like, like they're dying, the legs. Those are the people who are type 2 diabetics who haven't gotten the care and, and they are, they're going to die in the next you know, year, year or so. So that's kind of the, the sadness about this. We have, a, we have a great system to take care of people who are sick, but we are really, really bad at taking care of people who are not yet sick. And that's where the food as medicine comes to play. If you mm-hmm. are actually eating the right nutrition, right food, you don't, you're not going to get sick. You're not going to get obese. You're not going to get type 2 diabetes. You're not going to get you know, heart disease. And you're likely not going to get the cancer. And likely you won't get Alzheimer's or dementia. That is almost completely related to, to food as well. So that's kind of my, my thesis is that can we help people a bit earlier? And that's why we do blood testing, for example, at LO, to be able to give you a warning. And I'm, I'm really against the, uh, the healthcare system in one topic, which is we have these lines on the, on the map. Like, for example, when you have your LDL or your uh, cholesterol a certain level or your A1C, the diabetes marker, once you get over this threshold, you are red and you are medicated. Maybe you were five years on yellow and nobody told you anything about it. That's what we are trying to do at yellow. We are trying to give you a warning light. When you are at yellow, you can easily do something about it and not to get to red. Once you get to red, you are chronically sick forever and you're going to be medicated with insulin, with you know, Lipitor, with many different medications. And we are, of course, we, we know the pharma is really good, you know, lobbying people to, and doctors to give you medications, uh, being opioids or being, you know, other chronic condition medicines. So that's the challenge, in my opinion, that, you know, food as medicine is about preventing you getting sick from the, in the first, first place. Right. It's not about right. curing the cancer. Right. Well, no, no. I mean, I, I, I agree that the food is a big part of Obviously, it's a big part of how healthy you are, and uh, I do I do uh, subscribe to the idea of food being medicine. Um, I was just thinking, like for the average person, you know, who maybe 
doesn't make a deep study of health and nutrition very much. And then gets confronted with a cancer diagnosis and then, you know, says that, well, maybe there's some other, there's some other way. I mean, that's one, that's very possible. And two, that's a very brave person to kind of go out on a limb like that and really sort of, um, and really sort of do that sort of thing. But I think what the position you take is probably the right one. It's like you are combining the modern medicine with the with the nutritional education as well here too. I think that's probably the best way you could probably take care of yourself because um, from my understanding, doctors don't get very much education about nutrition. Yeah, about uh, four hours. <laughs> yeah. In, in, in 10 years or whatever, eight years they go to. Uh, med school and and uh, undergrad, right. but that's that's right. a problem, and I think uh, mm -hmm. that is the one one thing we need to change. And uh, there are many many doctors that you know are having a podcast like you, who have millions of people listening, and they are talking about holistically taking care of the person, and they're talking not talking about the woo woo of you know doing something silly, but they're talking about combining the science of nutrition with the science of medicine and building a one holistic approach and. Uh, I hope that will become the uh, the way we also educate people in the med school, because if you if you don't learn anything about the other side, it will feel scary for the doctors. And of course, you know they are. I mean, doctors are very smart. I mean, it's not easy to become a doctor first place, and um, and they are very proud about what they do, like you already referred to. <laughs> I mean, if I'm rating you as a doctor, they many of them are gonna say me that tell me that you know what the hell are you doing? Like that's a silly. Uh, but um, I think we have to change that. And, uh, and, but it's not only about that. It's also about changing the perception we have as people on nutrition and food. I mean, we can't tell somebody else to take a responsibility of us. We have to take a responsibility of ourselves and our health. And that's somehow, somehow forgotten at times. Like we can't be a nanny state or there's no nanny state that, you know, is making it um, easy for you to eat the right food. You eat whatever you want and it's your decision. But when you are eating food that will get you sick and you're going to cost the society millions of dollars, is that fair? I don't think it's fair. No, I would agree. It's not, it's not very fair. And uh, you're right. I mean, the doctor's, because I've spoken to quite a few of them, there's a growing number that are kind of defecting from this healthcare system and are running, if not defecting, then they are kind of, you know, maybe pulling back just a little bit, but doing something, maybe something with what we're doing right now. And they're at least trying to, on their own time, try to get some sort of uh, better word out there. Because I think a lot of them, and I don't mean to demonize doctors. I know it kind of sounds like I do on this program, but I'm not. I believe in doctors, I believe in modern medicine, but I think a lot of them feel probably the same amount of frustration that the patients feel. Like they just can't move very, very well. You know, they can't make the recommendations that they want to make. And it's, it's a tough world because if you are a doctor, we often forget the fact that, you know, there's a, this uh, big looming threat all the time called malpractice. Mm. Malpractice means that uh, if right. I go and do something different than the guidebook or the manual tells me to do, then I'm on my own. I'm taking a risk. And if something then goes wrong, then I, if I'm the consumer or the patient, I can then, you know, file a case against the doctor. And, and that is really, I think, inhibiting a lot of the innovation or, or going off the script type of stuff. And, and um, it's unfortunate in a way. It's great we have the kind of the care manual and the way to do things, but sometimes they can be outdated 
you know, the care manual, it still says today in many cases that um, type 2 diabetes is a chronic condition that you cannot reverse. It is irreversible condition. How can it be that there are now companies and uh, coaches and, uh, and uh, holistic care providers who are reversing type 2 diabetes every day in number of thousands of people a month? How can it be? Like we have medical books says that you can't reverse it. And how can it be done to thousands of people? You probably know somebody yourself that has been, you know, uh, reversing it themselves. So that to me is like a bit bizarre that, you know, that the medical science or the healthcare science can be kind of slow to adopt if a new uh, norm uh, comes into fray. So, so we, we've, you know, we talked about a lot here too. And so, you touched on earlier um, about getting the right foods here. So, I mean, I'm kind of curious, what's your idea of the right foods? Because a lot of the foods that you just listed are ones that I eat myself. Um, I think, I think I'm a otherwise pretty healthy person here. Um, I don't do any of the obvious bad stuff that you should stay away of. Um, but my blood work tends to come back pretty, tends to come back pretty good here. I mean, I'm also also very active and, you know, my, my uh, dietary habits have changed within the last year too. I did go vegan quite a bit, but then I decided, you no, know, I kind of want to, cause I'm getting older here. I'm 40 years old. I'm getting older. I know that my risk of losing muscle is significant at this point. So sarcopenia for me is a big thing. And uh, I really want to maintain my, um, a musculoskeletal system as much as I possibly can as I continue to age. So I went back to eating meat just for the sake it's like I can continue to get that uh, healthy, appropriate amount of protein. And you can do it as a vegan too. It's just much harder and much more expensive. So when you, I just want to know what your idea is of like what is getting in the the right amount of foods. Yeah, good good question. And I I'm a big believer in this idea that. Uh, if the nutrition would be smart, you don't need to follow a diet. You could follow and eat the food that you like and, and that tastes good for you and, and makes it feel good. But how to do it is, a, is another question. So mm -hmm. uh, if you think about, um, uh, and, and maybe I talk about myself, I'm not going to talk about, you know, maybe more broadly, but you know, I try to follow uh, the, the thesis that I believe in. So as of today, you know, it's 9 a.m., I, I haven't eaten anything except I had a glass of water. Uh, so I'm doing intermittent fasting on many days if I don't train in the morning. And um, I'm going to eat at, at 11 or, or noon. I'm going to do a salad with, uh, with some protein. It could be for me, it could be tofu, it could be salmon or something like that. Um, if I do train in the morning, I do eat uh, uh, a protein shake. I use the yellow, yellow protein uh, together with you know blueberries, maybe some uh, high fat, the yogurt, and, um, and then be, like, berries and, and, and things like that, and avocado. So very low glycemic, low carbohydrate breakfast. Or if I don't do that, then I do an omelet, omelet with, uh, with, uh, or scramble with, uh, with uh, spinach. So again, low glycemic. So I don't increase my blood sugar in the morning, or I, I stay fasted. That has a huge impact on my, my appetite and the way I eat rest of the day. And then I don't really snack at all. So I try to eat like three times a day or th two times a day. And I don't snack at all. And um, I do, I don't really worry about the dinner. I eat anything for dinner because, you know, you can have one meal a day that you 
really do whatever you want. But I don't do the dinner too late. I don't. I never do dinner after seven thirty. So and then after seven thirty, I never eat anything. When I go sleep, I go sleep again in a in a slightly fasted state, and then I wake up in the morning and I either fast more or I have the breakfast. And and that is, I think, the key for longevity in a way that you are letting your body to be hungry. Um, many of us we eat all the time. We are snacking with you know protein bars or whatever we do. And and that makes you sick. That is the problem that you are then. If you take protein five to ten times a day, you will likely be sick before you are seventy. And because your your body is uh, turning on the growth factor in your body every time you have protein, and if you do it too often, it's not only muscles growing, but can be also other things like tumors and other things growing in your body. Um, and I I try to avoid you know bad oils. I try to avoid you know any added sugar. I eat pretty low sugar type of diet, a low carb type of diet. I'm not in a keto. Sometimes I'm a keto. I've been a vegan for a long time, was a pescatarian for a long time, but I don't really think that the, you have to be like a limiting factor like that. For me, it's more about you know my values. I, do I want to support you know uh, animal production in a certain way? Um, I rather eat you know venison meat that I hunt myself. That's more like my game. Uh, mm. But uh, but I mean it's simple. I mean I keep it simple. I eat the same thing every morning, every lunch almost, and then the dinners are fun time. Yeah, I think that's probably about about the right way to do it. It's just kind of keeping it simple and not necessarily just kind of, you know, I think that, you know, dieting is probably the wrong way to go in so many different ways here. So uh, if you can, the central message here, if you can just kind of be more considerate about what you're eating and less, and less about following a certain diet plan, it's probably, although, you know, the intermittent fasting thing, I've done that too, and I kind of still do it. I mean, because I really don't, most days, I really don't eat anything until maybe about 10, 11 in the morning. I work out every morning. Yep. And so a lot of times I'm working out on a fasted stomach. I stop eating around 7, 7.30, something like that. So usually, maybe sometimes a little closer to 8. Um, and that's, I don't eat anything. And then I get up, I have coffee, and then I go to the gym. And I'm there for you know, 45 minutes, an hour. And I come back and, you know, by the time I actually eat anything, it's maybe 12, 13 hours on, Yep. you know, so, and you know, that, that works for me. It does. I I've known some people, they, they really can't do that. They go to the, they go to the gym like that and they just feel completely drained of energy yep. and they can't, and they can't really do much of anything. Um, I think actually there's an adjustment period that you have to actually allow for it. Um, but that works for me. And uh, I think it's kind of keeping me even keel. And I, I love the point about um, I, you're 100% right. People are different. We have our, we need to follow how we feel. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I love the point about the protein intake when you are you know 40 or older. Uh, building muscle gets very difficult after 50 plus new muscle. Mm -hmm. So you kind of better build the muscle until you are 50. And then I hope to maintain it. Um, and this really applies even more to women. Um, if you are, you know, pre-menopause and you haven't, you don't have muscle, it will be very difficult to build the muscle later. And I think almost all the women are taking too little protein today. They're a bit too careful about it. And um, adding a protein product in your, or adding more protein into your diet will likely be a good idea. And um, that's what I've been talking about. My mom, for example, is 74. Um, she's been going to gym like crazy for the last 20 years, but she started a bit late. 
she started when she was you know over 50 and i would have really loved to see her start it earlier and um so i, I myself i compete uh, still um in in sports and i, I compete in in like rock, rock climbing for example and i'm 45 and i think you know really growing power and growing muscle is very difficult already you can see the difference compared to you know 20 years ago I still have the same power roughly, but I, you know, I train a lot. I train 10 hours a week on rock climbing and that's about the max I can do. And I try to be fueling really effectively with, with protein at the right time myself. Um, but it's a, it's a difficult thing because nutrition is so complicated and every day you read a news article about, you know, X are bad, X are good, X are bad again. Chocolate is bad, chocolate is good, never have dark chocolate. You know, it's just a whiplash and um, it's very difficult to navigate the world. Yeah, it really is. Have you found that the way that you, the way that you eat and the way that you train, or let's just talk about nutrition, has it, has it, as an athlete, has it really kind of, has it aided you or has it kept you being able to be active in the way you are? Because, you know, rock climbing, <laughs> I tried rock climbing a couple of times, not easy to do. It takes a lot of strength to, to climb rocks. It takes a lot of strength to climb anything. Um, have you found that? you know, your uh, nutritional guidelines have helped you? I think the, the key, um, like, and, you know, you, you do this for a living and you know that more than more about this than I do probably, but I found it that you, like why people take uh, uh, anabolic steroids, for example, when they play something like uh, baseball. I mean, you don't really need insane amount of muscle or power to hit the ball. But then, you know, you're going to hit the ball every day because they play so many games. So why they do steroids is that they want to recover faster. And for me, I mean, I don't take steroids, but you know, the point is that I'm trying to eat food that is keeping me, my body very lean and clean in a sense of uh, inflammation. So when you have kind of like your muscles are hurting, there's always inflammation happening in your body. And if you can keep the inflammation low, you will actually recover faster. That's why you're going to see, you know, the NBA players, they are, you know, big, big dudes, a big woman. Uh, they're going to go into a cold path right after the game to lower the inflammation in the joints and stuff like that. And that has made them, it, it made it possible to play games more often. And they play, I think, too many games as well. But same with me. I, I try to be, at this age, I, I focus more on recovery almost than I do on the training itself. Of course, you want to train very effectively and not to spend like two hours doing stuff, but like one hour very effective training with the coach. And, and then you eat well and you recover faster. You can train more. And that to me was the, was the aha moment, I think. I, I played hockey for my youth and, you know, I trained twice a day when I was like mm -hmm. eight, 17, 18 years old. And, and then you can do it as a kid because you are, you are so moldable. But when you get older, you really have to be thoughtful about the, the recovery. And, um, and that was a key. So I recover better today than I recovered 20 years ago. I'm roughly the same level as I was 20 years ago. So I, I feel pretty good about it. Right. Yeah. I, I like the fact you mentioned the cold therapy because um, I do I do co the cold shower thing. Um, I will admit that I got on it at a time when it started to become kind of fashionable to get on. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. That sounds like a new kind of challenge that I could, you know, get into and see if I can handle it. I've been doing it for a while now. I'm a little bit more reasonable about it now. I kind of like mix the hot and cold showers together. So maybe I'll start with hot, just kind of, you know, get used to it. And then I'll turn it off and then I'll blast myself with the cold water or vice versa. 
Uh, I'm a little less hardcore about it than I was, but yeah, you're right. I think the, uh, the uh, recovery, the, the emphasis on recovery is a big deal because when I go, I, I, I don't really kill myself in the gym anymore than I used to. I still go pretty hard. Um, you know, just today I was, you know, doing, um, kind of the Olympic overhead presses, you know, it was, and it was a finale, you know, I did it for maybe three, four sets and maybe two reps at a time at the most. I increased the weight once, but not insanely. And then I decided, you know what, I'm done. I feel good. And so I left and then I got in the shower and I feel okay. And I kind of made this point earlier uh, in another show. Is like, well, if you're hurting yourself and feeling sore after every gym session, you are really doing something wrong. Because that's not that's not the way you should be living. Yeah, and I think you know, I love to. I was laughing a bit because uh, the the cold and the hot. Um, I think it's probably invented in uh, in Finland back uh-huh. in the days because you know we uh, the only invention we have from Finland is the sauna. That's the only word that you know people use uh-huh. in America as a Finnish word. I mean, of course, we also have Santa Claus, but that's another story. We can debate about it. <laughs> I know that part. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the sauna is, is, the, is the invention that, you know, really came from there. Um, we have 5 million people. We have 3 million saunas in Finland. We have more saunas than cars. Think about it. It's crazy. <laughs> and, um, and I have one here in the backyard. I have one in my cabin. And, oh, nice. um, and I've been doing all my life. Um, I go to the sauna three times a week at least, all my life, since I was like two years old. My, my daughter went to sauna first time before she was one. And she comes with me three times a week. My son comes also with me about two, two, three times a week. So it's a really interesting in a way that, you know, that hot, and I'm not, I'm talking about hot, like, you know, 200 degree hot and, and then the cold after it. So in, in Finland, what we do, and I'm from the Northern Finland. So you have six months a year, have ice. So we either going to go into the snow and, and, you know, you go into the snow after sauna, or then you have a hole in the ice and you're going to dip into the ice. And, and that is basically, you know, very cold water. It's like 38 degrees. Um, and that is a really, you know, pretty hardcore <laughs> experience. Mm-hmm. And when you have done that all your life, I mean, you get used to it. And I try to take a cold uh, and a hot almost every day. And uh, I think it's super powerful. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's done. I think it's done wonders for me, actually, in the long run. Um, but yeah, uh, the cold therapy, it's not for everybody, but... You know, if you can stand it, it might be worth your time, you know, so. And maybe the last point, to, to, if you talk about this topic of like, you know, different things, and we, we already kind of thought about intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I think, you know, there's a, a good evidence that, you know, it is a good idea, mainly because it will uh, shorten the window when you are eating. And if you have a window, a time window of eating, you will not eat as much. Uh, no matter what you eat, you can't eat that many more calories in a time window. So that's a good thing. But then the other point that I think is even more interesting today uh, is the prolonged fasting. Think about, you know, four or five days, seven days. And uh, that is something that I think has a fundamentally similar benefit as you have with the hot and cold therapy. And um, I, I decided to, you know, go all in into the fasting a long time ago, many years ago. And I do every quarter, I take five days of fast. And um, it really has been a big impact on my my life and um, and it, it not only helps you physically but also mentally it kind of calms you down and and gives you this sort of a moment to reflect and and i highly recommend people to try it may sound very difficult not to eat um, you can today buy products like uh, a company called prolon they are selling a kit of uh, 
of uh, food that you can eat every day for five days, and they give you between thousand and five hundred calories a day. So you don't feel as uh, empty as you would without with only water. Uh, but uh, I've been many people I know have done it, and uh, and they all have really gotten big benefit. And Prolon has sold this to I think almost million people already. You think you mentioned earlier that ninety percent of people have a metabolic illness? Do you think the intermittent fasting was kind of like the hidden, hidden little uh, gem there in, in terms of curing that? Well, it, it's one of the things, but I mean, in the end, the cure is very simple. It, it's just about uh, uh, lowering the the intake of carbs and sugar. I mean, sugar is the is the culprit. I mean, if you still drink the you know, the big uh, macchiato latte from Starbucks that has 35 pieces of sugar, or you have a, you know, soda every day, you're going to get sick. I mean, there's no way you, everybody who do that will get sick hundred percent. And if you stop doing it, you will likely not get sick. So it's that simple in a way. So are you, you know, we, we talked about an awful lot here. We're coming up on an hour here. So I just kind of like, cause you, you've done a lot. You've got multiple companies under your belt. Um, and you're still doing more and you're really kind of changing the game here in a lot of different ways. So at the end of the day, what would you, what would you really like to kind of see your impact or whatever your legacy would be, you know, in terms of everything that you're really doing here and here, because you're touching on a lot of major different, um, industries and, you know, everything else. What would you like to what would you like to actually be like the mark that you've left behind on everything here i mean i for me it's it's just about leaving the place that you entered into better condition when you leave like that's why how i try to if i go to a hotel or i go to airbnb i try to leave it to a better condition than it was when i when i mm-hmm. came in and uh, i mean that's what i try to do i mean like try to you know you have a limited time to do stuff in the world and I try to do stuff that, you know, has an impact that matters to me. And um, of course, it has to be also fun and, you know, enjoyable. And, and, but in the end, you know, what matters the most is that, you know, if your mom can be proud about you. Uh, I always use the mom proud factor to be the key metric on everything. That's fair enough. Fair enough. So here's the second part of that. Because we've talked about so much um, and, you know, possibly, you know, anyone listening to this can't really remember everything that we've said in, in the course of an hour here. So if you would like to leave people with just one thing and one thing to remember, what would it be? Uh, we talked about the health being, uh, we talked about the physical side of health. We talked about the, the nutrition and the food. Uh, but I think the easiest way for better health, and nothing is easy, but I think the easiest way is to uh, try to focus on, on sleep and um, and try to go sleep earlier. Uh, for me, the big moment uh, was that, you know, I, I'm a small investor in the Aura Ring, the Aura company. It's available as of I think, next week in every Best Buy, for example, in the country. You can buy, there's an own station for Aura. And it, it's a tracker that gives you an idea how you're recovering after sleep. How did you sleep? And, and there's no hack. You can have all these things like a cold room, dark room, do the hot shower before sleep, have earplugs, whatever. That all is nice, but the only thing that matters is that if you go sleep at 10.30 at night, you're going to wake up and you're going to feel great. If you go sleep at, at midnight and you wake up early, you're going to feel crap. So go, go sleep early. That is the biggest health hack that will always help people. 
true words. I know I definitely, because I tend to work late, like going to, going to sleep early for me is generally a problem. And because I need time to decompress <laughs> when I get home, it's uh, usually not the easiest thing in the world for me to just shut down. But I think I'm actually getting better in that because we talked about, you know, or maybe we didn't touch on this, but I'm trying to reduce my caffeine take intake during the course of the day. So I start cutting it off at a certain point of the day, like 11 in the morning and not ingesting it for the rest of the day. I think in small amounts, that's actually starting to help my sleep. It's helping me to get there quicker. Okay, so uh, Ari, where would, where would people find you that would reach out to you if they could? Yeah, ELO Health, you can find at ELO.health, ELO.health. And um, as I talked about uh, the smart supplements, smart, pro smart protein or recovery product, you can go and buy them today. They are available nationwide, except that New York still can't buy the supplements because we have a, an, a challenge with the blood testing with the state of New York. You have to do a local blood test lab. We don't have a local lab there yet. Mm -hmm. We'll be in the future. And um, you can also follow us at um, Instagram, Health, or other social mediums. And um, I'm easy to find Ari Tulla. I think I'm the only one with my name. So if you Google my name, you're going to find many pages. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, Ari, uh, thanks so much for your time. It's been a real honor. I've enjoyed talking to you. All right, thank you. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. It's really great. So everybody, thanks so much. Uh, this is Fitness Reborn Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'll put information uh, that you can contact uh, Ari in the show notes as normal. So uh, seek him out if you'd like. And uh, until then, I'll see you next time. Move forever. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Every little bit helps. And I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes. And you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's Ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace.